Hi, this is Pastor Corey. I hope this podcast will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and most importantly, help you draw closer to Jesus. Thank you for listening. The very first sermon that I preached in this series that I didn't even know I was, I was going to start a series when I preached this sermon had to do with the ten virgins, right? Five were prepared, five were unprepared. The question is, are you prepared for when Jesus returns? Five of the virgins, they make it to the day of the wedding. Five of them don't. Five of them make it to be with Jesus in the end. Five of them don't. What is the difference? The difference is the five that made it in the end to be with Jesus and to enjoy the wedding is that they had prepared themselves and they had a light in the dark. That was the difference. What is the light? It's, it's the good news. It's the story of what Jesus has done for mankind. It's the story of what Jesus has done for you and I, leaving heaven and coming to earth to show us the way and then to die on the cross, to be resurrected. It's the opportunity for a relationship with the living God. And when we repent of our sins and make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we are embracing the good news. Amen? It becomes a part of us. Good news, hear me now, should be shining forth from us in the form of light. So listen, when all of the media is selling sad stuff, when the media machine in our country and the world is selling bad stuff, at least the world has Christians delivering the good news, right? Oh, come on. Or are we? Are we that light that's delivering the good news all around the world in the midst of a lot of bad news? As things grow dimmer in time, and I don't want to go back and preach those sermons all over again, but Matthew 24 shows us that things are progressively going to get darker in our world as time goes on before the return of Jesus. So as your life grows darker, your world grows darker, the world in general grows darker, will you be a part of the media machine that's continuing to echo what's being spoken into our world, or will you be a part of Christ's media machine that is sharing the good news. What do you voice to most people when you talk to them? What do you say when you're out there the other six days of the week to friends and family that you're around? Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the gospel, To every creature. Think about this. Some of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. Like I'm telling you, Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected. He's got a few days left with his disciples before he ascends ascends into heaven. And his final instructions to his disciples. He's like, listen, as crazy as it is, as ungodly and paganistic, wicked and evil, as dark as your world is, go into it. Go into it. Go into it and preach the gospel. Don't shy away from it. Don't pull back from it. Don't be afraid of it. Instead, just the opposite. Step into it. 
go into it and preach the gospel. What is the word gospel is the word good news. In other words, I want you to go into it because when the world's dark, it needs a light. As as a Christian, you have been given a purpose. And your purpose is to go into the world and preach the good news. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20. The famous scriptures that good evangelists preach. Go, everybody say go. The words of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus' disciples go out, they do their thing, they're preaching the gospel, and then this crazy guy named Saul gets saved, and his name gets changed to Paul, and then he goes out, and he begins to preach the good news, and he would write in a letter to the Romans, and you got to know that, you know, when the church was in Rome, that the world was dark. It was a crazy place to live, and he would write these words to the church to encourage them. He says, but how can they the people who don't know Jesus, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. The sending of all of God's followers to be people who will bring good news. And some of you are probably sitting there saying, "Uh oh, I just wanted to come to church so pastor would make me feel good today. And now you just got responsibility dropped on you. I have a job now. Like, I'm supposed to be one of those preachy people, the kind that irritates everyone, telling them about Jesus all the time? Not quite. But there is a seriousness to Jesus' command. Hey, let me explain this. Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath, Herez, in the mountains of Ephraim, at the mountain of the side of Mount Gash, when all of the generation, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, when they had all died and they would went on. It says, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among other gods or from among the gods of the other people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Let me give this just a quick context. 
If you're with us at all, you'll often hear me talk about Moses or the Egyptians, the Israelites in the Old Testament. And you know that Moses was the deliverer and he brought them out of Egypt, right? And he was leading them into the promised land, but they got stuck in the desert for 40 years. And because of rebellion, there was a generation that passed away. But there was a generation after them that lived, that believed in God, that followed after his ways and was obedient to what he had asked of them. And it was Moses's protege, if you would, named Joshua that would raise up that generation that would then lead that generation of Israelites across the river Jordan as it then parted into the promised land so that they could walk in the freedom that God had given them and the blessings that he poured out for them. And that generation was blessed. But you have to look at the books. In the book of Joshua, what you will find is that with only a few exceptions, and there was a few, that Israel had victory after victory after victory. But then you go to the next book of the Bible, the next book called Judges, and you will find that with a few exceptions, that it is a book of defeat after defeat after defeat. So Joshua is largely a book about victories, and Judges is largely a book about defeat. So why the drastic difference between those two books? It's a continuation of the story of God's people. Well, in the scriptures we just read, verse 10 tells us everything. When it said, when all that generation, the previous generation, had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. In other words, when all of the the eldest followers of God had passed on, they had died, None of their family members really consider what's being said here. When the old people died, none of their family chose to continue to follow after the Lord. It's hard to imagine, but it says in one generation, in one generation, that the people did not know the Lord nor know the good that he had done for his people. To think from the famous words of Joshua as he was stepping up to lead the followers of God, where he would say, as for me and my house, not just for him, but he said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A tremendous declaration that he's responsible for his family, that he's going to follow after God, he's going to raise up his family to follow after God, only to know that within one generation of Joshua passing away, guess what? The family did not serve the Lord. I remember years ago when I became pastor, I was reading an article from one of the Pew Studies, uh, the church studies that are all across the United States that they do, And it was proclaiming, this was in like 2005, 2006, that within, I think it was like 10 years, uh, within a decade, that we would see probably the first generation of youth that would be raised up in our country and not really know who Jesus is or the story of Jesus, besides the fact that he's a good cuss word when you're mad, or that he's this crazy person with a bunch of crazy followers, that we would see that in our time, in our time. It seems almost 
unbelievable if you really study God's word and his expectations of his people that this could have happened to Old Testament Israel or that it could happen in the United States of America in our generation. And yet I take you back to this, Romans 10, 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never really heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Everybody say, someone tells them. There's a reason why Jesus' final instructions included preaching the good news. Because he needs his followers to tell people, to share their story with them about who he is and about his goodness in their lives. I think that a lot of Christians, though, they they become fearful or they get intimidated over these verses that I just previously read, the idea of what the church uh, calls evangelizing or proselytizing. We use these good Christianese words about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then a lot of church, when they hear that, they have this idea in their head that all of a sudden, I have a job now. Like it's about a job. Like it, it's about, you know, now i got to be one of those preachy people. When that's not necessarily true. At all. Yes, there may be a time when there's people who will step out of the upper room and they will preach the good news to, to thousands of people and see 3,000 people get saved like the Apostle Peter. And p- quite possibly, that's what they are called to do. That's what they've been gifted for. But the majority of us preaching the gospel is simply sharing our testimonies. If you've been here over the last few weeks, it's sharing what God has done in your life. It's sharing not just what he did in in bringing you to know him, but it's sharing in what he does in your life now, in your current now testimonies. It's simply sharing your story. That's the good news. It is that simple. Think about how people love stories. How many here don't like a good story? Everybody likes stories. Everybody's hunting for a good story. That's why they make movies. That's why people watch television. That's why people read books, because they're looking and hoping for that great story. A story that gives us the opportunity to see from another person's point of view. A story that will help us see beyond our own little world that we live in. And what's being said here is all we've got to do is learn to share our story. Wherever you look in the Bible, this is exactly what you see Jesus telling people to do. When Jesus was on the earth, he didn't tell people, oh, now that this happened in your life, I want you to go stand on the corner and preach to everybody about who I am. That's not what he said. I'll give you an idea of what he said. A few scriptures, there's plenty to share with you, but I'll give you a few. Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Jesus crosses Uh, the sea with his disciples and he's coming to this place the Gadarenes and he steps out of his boat and there's this guy that everybody knows and he is called the lunatic in most translations that he is crazy because he's demon possessed and then Jesus prays over him 
and there's this demon that rises up, and, and Jesus says, what's your name? He says his name's Legion, and, and so he casts Legion, which means thousands of demons, into the pigs, and then the swine run off the cliff. They all die. You all know that story, right? The guy gets set free. After years of being bound, after years of being spiritually suppressed, of being possessed by the enemy, after years of being rejected by everybody around him, after years of living life like a lunatic, he gets set free. I don't know how many of us would even understand that because most of us have never walked in those shoes, but can you imagine the freedom that he felt, the freedom that came to his life? And then his response, Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, it says, Jesus is getting into the boat. You want to know why Jesus is getting into the boat? Because everybody else is like, whoa, uh, we don't really want you around here, Jesus. They actually asked him to leave after setting the lunatic free. Like, this is some weird stuff. You're like, you're too Pentecostal for us. We Baptists. Get in your boat. Cross back over. Just joking. So he gets in his boat. Guess what happens? The guy that's been set free, that's actually experienced freedom from Jesus, wants to go with Jesus. Like, wouldn't you? Like, I'm not going to stay here with these people. I experienced it. I haven't just heard about it. Not somebody just tell me about it. I've experienced. Now, Jesus, wherever you go, I want to go. Right? As Jesus is getting in the boat, the man who had the demon possessed begged to go with him. Like, please let me go with you. But Jesus said, no. That'd be the easy thing to do. Instead, go home to your family. Because ministry starts first with our family. Our first ministry is our own family. Our first ministry is, is our, either our spouse, if they're not saved, then our kids, then our grandkids, There's responsibility throughout all of the Bible. Our first and foremost should be our family. You can preach and see thousands of people get saved, but if your own family didn't get saved, there's a question. Where'd you miss your own family? And so what does he tell him to do? The first place he tells him to go is go to your family and tell them, share with them, Everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Like, you don't need to go stand on the street corner. I'm not asking you to go be preachy to your family. All I'm doing is asking you to take the hard step. Yes, it'd be easier to just roam with me and do what I do. But I'm wanting you to go back to your family and just share with them. Share with them your experience. Share with them what God has done in your life. Share with them the mercy that you have received. Not about how good you are now that you've received that mercy. Not about how holy you are now that you've been set free from the enemies. I just want you to share with them the mercy that you've received. And so it says, the man started off. Now, I imagine, I hope that he went to his family. But then he went to visit the 10 towns of that region. Remember, the people there didn't even want Jesus to hang out after that. They wanted him to leave. What does this guy do? Jesus is like, no, I'm going to leave. They want me to leave, but I want you to stay. And now, because this is where you live, this is your world, 
they need to know about me. And it says that he went into the ten towns of that region and he began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. He just shared his story. And it says that everybody that he told was amazed. It starts with your family. It starts with your own hometown. It starts in your area. It's not the easy thing to do. The easy thing would be to just get lost in the worship of Jesus and follow after him all by yourself or with a few buddies called the disciples. But he says, no, I want you to stay. I want you to go into this place. Go into the darkness because they need to see the light. Share your story. John chapter 4. Here's another example, the woman at the well. For those who don't know the story of the woman at the well, I think most of you do, so I'm going to skim through it real quick. The disciples, they need to get somewhere fast, and so they take this normal journey. Well, the Jews used to have to go around this place called Samaria because the Samaritans were considered dirty to the Jews. They didn't like the Samaritans. They were like third-class citizens. They didn't want to go through those towns that they lived in. So the Jews would travel all the way around their area, right? But they decide Jesus wants to cut through that area. So he stops at a well. His disciples go get something to eat. Jesus asks the woman at the well for something to drink, and they go through this exchange. They strike up this conversation. In the midst of him asking for something to drink, she's not expecting that because men didn't talk to women in public. And then on top of that, a Jew wouldn't have talked to a Samaritan in public. And then on top of that, a rabbi, Jesus, a teacher, a respected religious leader, wouldn't have talked to somebody of her status that's getting water at that time of day because she's avoiding all the other women because she's had a few men in her life, if you know what I'm talking about. So the fact that Jesus wouldn't even talk to this lady is nuts in and of itself. Crazy. And yet he stops and talks to her and says, I want a drink. And so she, she asks him about why is he asking her to get a drink. And then he begins to share how he's the living water. And that if she really knew what he was asking, that she would never thirst again. And then he begins to confront her sin. He begins to tell her certain things that, that nobody else would know about the sin that is in her life. That was part of him reaching her. Like there's some issues in your life that you, you got to get fixed here. Here's some guys that you've been with, right? Yeah, you're not with your, your current guys and even your husband. Like, he's confronting all of that. So then she wants to change the subject. So she changed the subject to where people are supposed to worship. And then bring, Jesus brings it back to the center that worship is in spirit and in truth, right? And then his disciples show up and, and they are shocked at what they're witnessing because Jesus should not be even talking to this woman. He explains he's the Messiah. They show up in verse 27, John chapter 4. At this point, it says his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Like, of course, mankind, we'd rather make assumptions about what's going on, wouldn't we? Verse 28, the woman left her water pot. She went her way into the city. Jesus is done talking. The disciples, they're being a little judgy. Jesus is sticking with them to get them straightened out before they go on any further. The woman takes off, and it says that she goes into the city, and she says to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior? What did she do? She heads back into the city. She doesn't stand on the 
street corner and she shouts at people, she simply began to share her story, her experience with Jesus. It says, then they went out of the city and they came to Jesus. They came to him. And then skip down from verse 30 to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city, they believed in him, in Jesus, because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. She received that prophetic word, that word of knowledge into her life. All she did was share the story of God's miraculous mercy and grace upon her. Even though he confronted her sin, don't forget. And then she shares that. And then people, through her story, the sharing of her story, come to know Jesus Christ and accept him. You know, that sounds all fine and dandy until you are out in your community. Notice she didn't leave Samaria. She went back to her hometown, too. She didn't follow after Jesus. She stayed there. She was in the darkness of her own little place. It would have been easier to follow after Jesus probably after especially experiencing the freedom that she experienced because of what she'd been through in life. But she goes back to her own hometown. The hometown, the same people that she was avoiding, Right? The women that she was avoiding, why she would go to get water at noon and not in the morning with the rest of the woman because she was a woman of many men in her life. And, you know, she would go back to those same people, to that same place. It would have been much easier to just follow after Jesus. But no, she decides, I'm going back. And that's where she shared what happened to her. Now, it sounds nice and easy when you read these stories, but what about when you run into the person who begins to want to argue with you about, about who this Jesus is? They want to discredit God. They're, they're looking for every other way to try and, and explain away who Jesus really is. We get to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man that's been blind from birth. So what happens? The religious leaders, again, this guy gets healed. I'm sure there was some aspect inside of him that made him want to follow after Jesus. But what does he do? He goes back and he actually shares it with his family and friends. His family knew about it. He shares his experience. He shares his story. Jesus heals the blind man from birth. And then the religious leaders find out about it. And what do the religious leaders do? They want to question the man. They don't believe him. They don't believe what he's saying. And so they get his parents, and they want to question the parents. And they're like, Did you, was your son really blind? Was he really blind from birth? Is this really what happened? Who really did this? How is he able to see now? They're just questioning and drilling him with questions. And, you know, it's kind of funny because his parents, like, they're afraid of the religious leaders. And here's a sad statement. The parents weren't even willing to defend their son. They're like, mm, I don't know. It happened to him. Ask him. It says in God's word, like, they were fearful of what might happen to them if they were sharing the truth of what happened to their son. But their son, no, he steps up to the plate. Why? Because it's what happened to him. And so they begin to ask him all these same questions. They already heard the story once. They already doubted him once. They already questioned him. They already didn't believe him. They go to his parents, and his parents are like, we don't know. It's yes, he was blind since birth. Question him. It happened to him. So then he comes back to them. They begin to question him again. And mind you, the religious leaders, they don't believe in Jesus. They think that Jesus 
If anything, he's, he's just a sinful man. Just a man who was born upon the earth. He's a sinner like everybody else. He was just somebody who lived in history. And you know what? He did his thing, and very few people really know about him. And, and he was just a guy, and now a bunch of crazy people say crazy stuff about him. You know what? We don't really believe who this Jesus really is. Their whole goal in this is to discredit him. It's to discredit him. And so they ask the man again, and his response to their question, like, listen, if you've had somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, they just want to discredit Jesus, they just want to argue, they just want to question, they want to doubt you. Like, like, have you ever had somebody come at you like that? There's really no, like, hope in reaching them, it doesn't feel like. And they're just drilling down because they're hoping to put a hole in the story because they really don't want to believe for themselves. That's exactly what's taking place right here. And so his response to their questions, his response to their doubts, his response to even their anger, because don't kid yourself, though it may not say it, if you know anything about the religious leaders in that day, like they grew angry over Jesus. They did not want to believe this. And so there was a little bit of anger that would have been rising up outside of them that was really against Jesus. And his response Pay attention to how he responds to this. So they again called the man who was blind. Again they call him. And they said to him, now give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and he said, you know what, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. His simple response was to share his story. There's a lot of times in life when you would rather stay by yourself and just have your little times with Jesus and follow after Jesus, and God's word is like, no, I want you to stay in the hard places. I want you to go into the darkness. I want you to be the light. I want you to share your story that you're going to run into people. They're going to question who Jesus is. They have all these facts, everything that they've read on the internet, all the truth that's out there in the web. And they're going to start throwing these questions at you. And you know what? Sometimes you can say, I don't know the answers to all of your questions. But one thing I know is that I was blind. But now I see that here's my story. And you can take a lot of things away if you want, but you can't take away my story, my experience. Simply sharing your story. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, he goes to the cross They put nails in his hands and his feet. They stuff a spear in his side. He dies and is resurrected. He returns. And you know, like on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with people who were followers of him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him until they sat down to to enjoy a meal with him. And he began to, to awaken their mind to the scriptures that prophesied of who he was. They didn't physically recognize him. Now, some people believe that Jesus wasn't recognizable because he just got beat up. 
punched in the face, his beard pulled out, thorns shoved down on his head, that he would have been black and blue and swollen all over the place. That when he reappears to his disciples, guess what? They question who he is. Because of the same reason, have you ever really wondered why when Jesus returned, when he was resurrected, why did Jesus keep the scars on his hand? Why did he keep the scars on his feet? Why was there still a hole in his side when he was resurrected from the dead? Come on, think about it. You are talking about the God who has put fresh flesh on the rotting limbs of lepers. You're talking about a God who's caused the lame to leap and blind eyes to see and untangled the mangled hand of a man. And yet he chose to keep the scars. Jesus could have returned fully whole if he wanted to. On that day, not even his closest disciples would recognize him. But in order to convince the disciples that he was the risen Christ, he simply held out his hands and showed them the scars. He shared his story. It was then, it was only then, after he shared his story, that they believed. Why? Because there is power in your scars. There is power from your darkest times. There is power in sharing your story. It changes people's lives. I want to take a moment and show you the story of someone in our church, Carl Claflin, and we're going to see his story and how it's not only helped him, but transformed other people's lives. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. February 10th of 2020, I, uh, was diagnosed with, um, they found cancer. Um, one doctor called it colon cancer, another one called it rectal cancer. I'm calling it colon cancer because it sounds better. Um, and I was, at first, I was really freaked out. What's going to happen? Who's going to take care of Tammy, my wife? And and God is like, well, don't you think that, you know, I'm already taking care of her? I'm like, oh, okay, well, okay, God, you got this. And then I was talking to my boss and because I was worried about my finances, you know, being out for all that time and and I'm talking to the boss and he's a man of God and he said, don't worry, Carl, I got your back. So I'm like, okay, we got this. And then the people in the church found out about it. The deacons decided they wanted to pray for me. <clears throat> and one of the deacons, he uh, got the gift of prophecy and he prophesied that because of all this, somebody was going to, come to the Lord. The Lord has given me a real heart for, for the lost. And it was like, okay, well, if this is what's going to happen, then let's do this. You know, let's just go ahead and go for it, you know, and 
And so we did the chemo radiation and, and there wasn't much results and um, it didn't shrink very much. And so doctors like, well, we got to do surgery. Well, I knew what the, that would entail and I just didn't want to do surgery. I just, no way, you know, um, we, we got to do surgery. And I said, well, okay, if you have to, then we'll just, you know, wait till after Christmas. This was like last summer, a year ago, last summer. And he goes, if you do that, it'll, it'll spread and it could spread and be worse. And, and so the doctor, I, so I talked to the cancer doctor and he said, well, we could start another round of chemo. Started the chemo and then um, I've got this friend, um, Bob, he's um, another truck driver. And through that, you know, conversation, hey, I, you know, I just got, just got diagnosed with cancer and we talk about that and you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, as things progressed and as the doctors tell me things, I'd tell him. It was kind of a joke, but my biggest thing was what I told people was, ah, oh, this cancer is nothing but a pain in the butt. It's just a thing, just a, you know, bump in the road, you know, not but a thing. But because of my attitude and, and everything, then he, he came back to the Lord. He was afraid. I found out recently that that he was didn't think that God could ever forgive him. He didn't think that he was. He thought he committed the unforgivable sin, you know, by walking away. And I I shared part of my story with him that you know I I walked away from God and a couple of times. And God has always been. He loved me so much that he was able to you know he he forgave me and and I was able to come back and and um, and so with that he became he got went to church. It was the first time in twenty years he'd been in church. And so um, now God's using him in great ways. Instead of going to church, he decided to start his own Bible study and, and have his own church, if you will. What they do is they just pick a book in the Bible and then they just take turns. Everybody reads a chapter and shares what they got out of it. And then they read the next chapter. And, and he was telling everybody, hey, I'm having this Bible study. It's on Saturday afternoons, you know. And, and um, he got some neighbors to come over and... and uh, after he came to the Lord, he says, we got to get together. We got to get together and I got to lay hands on you. You know, I'm not going to heal you, he says, but God's going to heal you through me. He's going to use me to use, you know, cool. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. You know, I was just like, that was my attitude was that we'll just, we'll just see what happens. He lives up in Rathrum. I didn't have enough time to get off to Coeur d'Alene and he didn't have enough time to go all the way out to Kellogg. So we just met in the middle at the Rose Lake Cafe and we prayed. And then the next week I had to do an MRI and um, the MRI showed that that it was uh, too small to measure and they did the PET scan and the results was that the cancer was gone. God used me to witness to Bob and became a Bob became a Christian and he was able to and then he was able to pray for me and and so it's like a full circle it just comes back around so there's there's people out there that only you can witness to there's people out there that only i can witness to you know and if we're not doing our job then there's somebody that's going to miss out on on heaven you know i believe that now some people would say that well there's other people that could step in and, and do it but i'm having a hard time with that you know when my wife was pregnant the first time everybody friends family strangers it didn't matter they found out that my wife was going to have a baby it just seems to me like that that would be the, you know, same thing with Jesus, you know, 
God is so awesome, why wouldn't you want to share that? How do you know that that there's somebody else out there that can witness to this person? You don't, you know, and you need to, you know, like I say, you don't beat them over the head with it, but you just, you know, let them know and, hey, this is where I am and always be willing to talk to them, you know. God decides to take, he's going to take me, then he's going to take me, you know, but I don't think he's done with me yet. So I think I've got some more work to do. Actually, he started the Bible study first, invited all of his neighbors and friends to his Bible study, this friend of Carl's named Bob, and then went to church, and now they're active in their church. And um, great things actually are happening through their lives. And so what I want you to really notice about Carl's story isn't about how God healed him. Because he'll tell you today, like, he didn't finish the story that that was a while ago, and now the cancer's back. We're going to pray for him. But his ending statement is what mattered the most. Because his story is really about a word from the Lord through a leader in our church when we prayed over him. And that word was that there would be a friend who would recommit his life to Jesus through what Carl's going through. And Carl would have had no idea of who that person would be. But because of who he is, and he says that he overshares sometimes, he has a fellow trucker friend, and he just shares his story with him and would tell him what's going on, and they would interact, you know, talking to each other on the phone, that that would be the friend that would then say he wants to recommit his life to Christ. And then that God would use that guy to then be bold enough to want to drive over and meet him and pray over him. And now the ministry that's taking place through that man and, and his family and everything that, you know, they're seeing happen in other people's lives, like the advancement of God's kingdom, the good news is being spread because Carl decided that it was important to share his story. And, and listen, he wasn't even out of his story yet. He was going through it while he was sharing it. But it was his, his joy, it was his light, it was his humor in the midst of a dark time in his life that would cause a guy to question if he was going down the right path and say, you know what, I want what you got. I need to know that Jesus. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the great historical preacher, he wrote these words. He said, try and sing in the night, Christian. Try and sing in the night. For that is one of the best arguments in the entire world in favor of your religion. I tell you, we may preach 50,000 sermons to prove the gospel, but we will not prove it half as well as you will by singing in the night. What's he saying? The greatest opportunity for Christians to lead other people to know Jesus Christ is by sharing their stories in their dark times. And as our world inevitably will grow darker, 
our light will grow brighter by sharing our stories. Luke chapter 21, verse 7 through 13, to take us back with where we started this series, but from Luke's perspective instead of Matthew's. The disciples had just left the temple. They're up on the mountain. Jesus has described to them that it's going to be destroyed. And he begins to explain the last days to them. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? What sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Verse 8, he said, Take heed that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first. They're all just a part of the darkness. But the end will not come immediately. Then he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Remember, don't fear. They're just a part of the darkness. And then there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, diseases that will spread all over the world. There will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. I want to remind you what he said, Christians. Don't be fearful. It's just a part of the darkness. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. They will persecute you. They'll deliver you up to the synagogues and to the prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers. Listen, remember, when you're going through persecution, when you're facing ridicule, when you, when you may see an increase in anti-Christianity against you if you stand up for Jesus, don't fear. It's just a part of the darkness that you've been called into. He says that all these things will happen for my name's sake, for him. It's not happening because of you. It's not happening because of the devil. It's actually happening for his name's sake, for the name of Jesus Christ, that you will share your story. Because verse 13 says, it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. You guys hear that? When all the world seems like it's coming against anything that has to do with Jesus, when things are getting darker, there's, there's nations raging against nation, there's wars, there's disease, there's earthquakes, there's pestilences, and there's a lot of fear in the rest of the world. Everything seems dark. Jesus is like, I said to go into, go into it. Do not fear. It's for my name's sake, because it's there that you will have the opportunity and occasion to share your story, your testimony. Revelations 12, 11, and they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony.